So yes, it's compounding, but so is my tax liability. So is all that money inside of that account, is that mine? No, I'm gonna have to pay the government at whatever that rate is. And if you believe what David Walker said, that could potentially double. So instead of me paying, you know, at the time I was probably paying around 30%. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the A Wealthy American Show. So today I'm joined by my co-host, as always, Jim Stryker. Jim, how you doing over there? How's it going? Uh, great, man. How are you doing? Things are going really well. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's another beautiful day in our amazing country. We believe here at the Wealthy American Podcast that America is stronger with more people having more wealth inside of it. And so what we strive to do here is share a lot of our journeys going through this coming up. You know, Jim came up as an orphan. I grew up very poor outside of Detroit. Then I went special operations community, did that for a decade, had a couple of businesses, ambled my way through this and really took a long time, you know, probably 30 years, probably all said and done uh, from the time I started trying to learn this stuff back in the day to now to figure this stuff out. And today we want to talk about something that, man, we just get so fired up about, which is like, most people don't realize this, but when you look at a lot of these accounts that you're using, and you probably have this today, right? You probably have something like a 401k or an IRA or for God's sakes, a savings account, right? A CD, something like that. What you probably don't realize is how much the government is actually in those accounts. And so we're going to talk about this today. We're going to kind of go through this, really kind of dissect this, explain a little bit more of what we mean, but also a little bit of how we, Jim and I, like to pull ourselves out of that. And here's a disclaimer for you. This show is not financial advice. No show should claim to be financial advice, right? If you're doing retirement planning, if you're doing wealth planning, if you're doing true financial investments, any of that stuff. That requires a trained professional who can get clarity into your specific situation. Clarity is power, but in order for clarity to actually be clarity, it has to be specific to your situation and circumstance. Education is the first step, but clarity requires a trained professional that can understand you better and then give you guidance. So that being said, Jim, let's go ahead and open it up. Let's talk about it. So when we say people have the government inside of their accounts, what do we mean? Most of the accounts, I should say, that we have the opportunity to deposit our money into after we've paid our first cut to our partner. We'll just label as Uncle Sam. He's a good, generous, you know, uncle in this in this country, right? Generous, generous to himself. But look, you know, we earn, we go to work, we earn money, we get money, we pay tax. And then we have money that we get to have a decision of what to do with. Do we save that money or do we have it go out our lifestyle tank never to return? Well, for most of us, probably a lot of people listening here, we like to identify as savers, people that like to save money, emergency funds, rainy day funds, what have you, savings for um, liquidity events that happen. The HBAC unit you know, goes away. And we have to look at where are the places that we can put our money. Do we put our money in, um, in a CD? Maybe right? It's FDIC insured, should be somewhat safe, but what is also attached to that? Taxes. How about putting money in, in a... Let, let's unpack that for a second, Jim, right? Because I think it's something that it gets thrown around a lot and people go, oh, you pay taxes. And I remember before, you know, a decade ago, before I really understood any of this stuff, it was really like, well, yeah, you pay taxes. And people are like, yeah, there's accounts you don't have to pay as much tax, 
or potentially no tax. And I didn't really understand what that means. And so let's, if, if I'm understanding what you're saying, what you're saying is, hey, cool, you get your paycheck. Your paycheck then comes to you. Now, what's already been taken out of that is what we're probably all used to, especially you saw in your first job you ever had. For me, it was Marco's Pizza. I thought I was making a certain amount of dollars per hour, right? Once open that up, <laughs> well, I didn't quite take home as much as I thought. And that's the first thing that we're talking about is ordinary income tax. And then what we're talking about is when you put that money into an account, doing the responsible thing, saving money, setting aside for emergencies, setting aside for your future, building your wealth, what happens then? And that's the thing I never really thought about. And by the way, before we get into that, we're not saying we don't enjoy what these taxes provide for our country, right? Paved roads are incredible. Having funding to be able to do things that provide value to our society is necessary, required, and I would say even encouraged by us here, right? I spent 10 here, here's the thing, though, guys. Especially as it comes to protecting ourselves from, you know, in the military funding, you know, th- those things, right? Well, let, and then let's think about this for a second, right? And I had a unique vantage point on this. 18 years old, I go into the Marine Corps. Spend five years in the Marine Corps, work really, really hard, do three deployments, worked my way up in the special operations community, all that stuff. After that five years, I got out of the Marine Corps and I went over to the State Department, right? And I was working for the State Department or directly... Uh, to the State Department, and I was doing basically uh, high-level dignitary protection. So my main theaters were what was called AIP, Afghanistan, Iraq, Pakistan, and it was protecting ambassadors, heads of state, dignitaries. And there was a really interesting thing that happened, right? I would say if, if anything politically, I'm probably a libertarian. I don't think we need more laws. I think there's probably not en- enough enforced that are actually on the books. Nobody can keep track of them because of that it, kind of picks and choose. I don't really care what somebody else does as long as it doesn't affect me, right? Starts affecting other people, my belief, and everybody can have their own. I, I don't love that. But I had people that I definitely politically disagreed with there, right? You see a lot of people that come out of, you know, real high level Ivy League Brown and all these things. And they're, you know, my perspective, having been this knuckle dragon special operations dude over there for years was like, they were a little bit disconnected from reality. They just thought that if you smiled at everybody and gave them books, they of course would love you, but it didn't always work out that way, right? So here's my point of telling you that. I watched people that I probably disagreed with in terms of the way that they thought about what, how to interact with people, how to get outcomes, maybe politically, I guess, if you want to call it that, but they believed in what they were doing, right? I'll tell you, those people I respect, even though I didn't necessarily agree with them, I saw way more than that that were there just to push their career forward, to get that check on their career box that said, I went to Afghanistan, I went to Iraq, I went to Pakistan, I am high threat, therefore I can move up further and further and further in kind of what's called foreign service office, the FSO world, so that they could get up there. And these people, again, there's a lot of really good ones, like anything, a lot of really good. There's some really bad, and most people are in between. This was the highest levels of the State Department. Would I trust them to run the finances of my business? No. But these are the people that are impacting the decisions and the policies that are affecting how our money gets spent and how much we get taxed, right? That's the reality of this. Any other reality is not real because the government is going to spend that money. And, you know, there's a famous quote from David Walker. So Jim, tell, 
I know you know this one. Tell us a little bit about David Walker and tell us about what he said taxes have to do in the future in order to catch up and why we should listen to him. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a lot to unpack there, and I'm and I'm glad that you you kind of brought a, a little bit of the history you know involved in there. But yeah, Dave, David Walker um, served under two uh, presidents, um, one Democrat, one Republican. Spent a lot of time. Uh, he's essentially the CPA, the Comp Controller of the United States of America, and uh, he knows a lot about American finances. I think we all can agree, you know, on that. And uh, he knows the balance sheet, you know, of America. And I have to sort of backtrack a little bit on just creating a little bit of of an understanding of our government, my government, your government collectively really isn't in a business. It's not a business. It doesn't manufacture anything. It doesn't produce anything. It can only bring in revenue one way. And you guessed it, income taxes. So taxes is it, right? So they have one way, which is find a way to tax, bring in revenue to pay for everything, right? And so um, that is an insatiable thirst that can't be quenched ever when you're in the government, right? Imagine running a business, you got one way to bring in revenue and you're underwater every single day, right? Backs against the wall. You got to find creative ways to raise taxes and and to do that. So, and so really that's kind of what we're talking about, you know, here at this point is um, I guess overall taxes, government spending, saving money and how we as, uh, you know, wealthy Americans can navigate what we're up against here. Well, yeah, and who's who's making those decisions, right? That's that's really, I mean, in a nutshell, I wouldn't trust them in my business to make financial decisions, but they're running decisions for the, the country. And so David Walker, what he said when he looked at this, and guys, like Jim said, he was the CPA of the country. He was the financial comptroller from, what, 98, and then he had an 11-year run there. And he said, based on the spending of the U.S. and what he's seen and where we're at currently, and this is his opinion on this, Right. He's on record as saying taxes will have to double at some point to cover the spending that the United States has done up to this point. He wasn't talking about in the future. He wasn't talking about if we continue on this path up to this point. This is one of the most knowledgeable people, the most well-read people, basically the financial auditor for the United States of America. Taxes will have to double. And so when we think about that, does it matter that the U.S., that the government is in your accounts? Of course it does. Because they can make a decision. Are they going to consult you? No. It's going to get buried in a bill or it's going to be an executive order. And good luck. So, first you get taxed with ordinary income. That's normal. We all know that. Jim, where can that money go after it hits? Well, uh, as far as where you can save it. So, you can save money pre-tax in accounts that are, quote, qualified. Let me define that. A qualified account is qualified by who? Well, it's qualified by the IRS. They dictate how your savings is taxed. It's just the way it is. You can pay tax now or you can delay or postpone tax into the future. And so if you delay or postpone tax, that's called qualified. Qualified to do that per the IRS. That's your 401k, that's your IRA, that's your TSP, 403b. Those are all quote the qualified accounts. So no, that's if you have a 401k or an IRA, no, that's what that is. It's likely that you haven't paid your tax on that account yet, but you will, right? You have a partner there. Let's talk about that because most people I don't think realize this. So what Jim's saying, guys, is when you go to open your 401k, your IRA, and I did this for years, right? Didn't have 401k, right? And it's just a lot of working for myself or working for the, for the man and you don't really get that option to go. Yeah, if you want to put in 20 years going to combat every you know, year and a half or so, 
well, at the very end of that, we'll give you a pension. Um, so I didn't have those options, but I did end up doing Roth IRAs and then eventually SEP IRA, right? Which self-employed. And so when I looked at that and Roth's a little bit different because you already pay it. But when I looked at that stuff, I looked at those accounts, especially in that SEP IRA and I went, sweet, that account balance is growing. That's looking good. I'm going to have people say, and I didn't know at this time I was, I was young in the game, guys. I didn't know. You'll have to excuse, you know, the, the youth at that point. But I'd heard like, you need a million dollars to retire. Right. And I was like a million bucks. And did I think about that number ever and where that came from and actually extrapolate out if that keeps me enough money? No, I didn't. But this is where it was at the time. So I, you know, pull open that statement, unfurl that. I'm looking through my retirement accounts and I'm going, sweet, this looks, this looks like it's like, this looks pretty good until I figured out, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to pay income tax on this when I go to make a withdrawal. So yes, it's compounding, but so is my tax liability. So is all that money inside of that account, is that mine? No, I'm going to have to pay the government at whatever that rate is. And if you believe what David Walker said, that could potentially double. So instead of me paying, you know, at the time I was probably paying around 30% income tax, but instead of paying that, I might have to pay 40, 50, 60%, like an astronomical amount. And so when we talk about the government inside of your accounts, that's what we're talking about. Accounts that are going to be taxed, whether that be mutual funds, whether that be qualified plans, anything where the growth is taxed or you're going to pay taxes later, man, you're a little bit, if you look at this, like my feeling is I don't really want to roll those dice and go, if the government raises taxes, things get crazy here. I'm going to end up paying them all of that money and there's nothing I can do about that. I personally don't like that. I don't like leaving my fate up to somebody else, especially the government. As much as I believe in this country and I believe in this country, I've fought for this country. I've had friends die for this country. I do not trust the politicians that are in place to make the best long-term decisions to impact our country and also to keep us out of trouble where even if they have, if they are making the best decision based on decisions that were made 20 years ago, right? Things have gone wrong. David Walker's like, hey, you guys should correct spending. They're like, yeah, constituents, I got to get reelected. Maybe you have the right people in place doing the right things when that hits 20 years from there, but I don't want to be in that situation either. I would rather know I've paid what I've already had to pay and all the money that's growing is mine. It's what's called tax advantaged. And Jim, let's talk about those kind of accounts, right? So where can you have money that's going to get taxed? We already talked about this. Any sort of qualified plans, 401ks, IRAs, stuff like that. Um, you're also going to pay any sort of like stock markets, mutual funds. You're going to get taxed on growth, usually with capital gains, stuff like that, which varies individual by individual, but could be anywhere from 15 to 25%. Again, this stuff can change. That's not a hard and fast, just what the current statutes uh, are reflecting, but there is one other type. And I know, obviously we, we talk about this a lot. If you want to get the government out of your accounts, but you still want to grow. Cause the question becomes, if I can't grow my stuff and all these things, everybody says, here's where I put my money. This is where it will grow. Where do I then put money to grow my wealth? Because I want compound interest working in my favor. I, I would love to participate with the stock market. I don't want to lose money when it comes. Like what are my options, Jim? Yeah. So unfortunately, you know, we don't have a lot of options, quite frankly. 
but we have some very, 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 very good options. And so um, there are actually tax-free qualified options. You have your four Roth 401k, right? You have uh, um, just a, a standard, you know, Roth, which is after-tax dollars being saved in a qualified account, usually stock market type thing, where you don't pay tax on the gain, the growth, and the extraction. So they have very small, they have limitations on how much you can put in, obviously, because if you put in too much, they don't get their share. And so you have to think about it in terms of, you know, is the government really for me um, or against me in terms of my retirement, my savings? And if you have an account that they know that you could put money in after tax, but they limit the amount that you can put in, there's a reason for that, right? And so um, I would just say that, you know, growing money inside taxable accounts or growing money in in tax postponed accounts like 401ks and IRAs, um, it's just a very expensive thing to consider. So I would consider that. And then, you know, you also have, you know, mini bonds and things like tax for mini bonds and things like that. You can typically lower yields and, you know, liquidity issues and things of that nature. But you really, those are it, Will. You have your qualified your Roth, you have your 401k and you have some mini bonds. Most everything else, if not everything else that we think about in terms of what to do with our money is going to be taxed at some point in time, right? So yep. there are um, other accounts that, um, that you take after tax dollars that you could put your money into or my money into, your money into, whatever, that you can put an unlimited amount of money into it. You have to qualify for the product where you can learn the aspects of only making money, never losing money, and never paying any tax. Yeah, what we call private reserve, right? Private reserve. The private reserve is is really the only account. The caveat to that is you got to qualify for it. It has to be built right. And you got to work with a professional, like you said in the beginning, of somebody who knows what it is they're doing. But that is the only account that I'm aware of. And if anyone else listening has uh, knowledge of another account that has the same attributes as here, please let us know. We've been looking. This is the only one that we know of where you could put after-tax dollars in where you'll never lose it. You'll never be exposed to taxes and market risk at all. Capture the upside. And most importantly, cut out completely Uncle Sam, the IRS, from your gain, your growth, and your extraction. So there is hope, everybody. There is hope for going to work, saving money, Deciding to pay tax, you know, today, maybe you're somebody who thinks tax rates are going to stay the same or go down. Maybe that's you. David Walker, who ran the, the government from a CPA perspective, doesn't believe that. He believes, knowing what he knows, tax rates are going to have to double. Look, we all hope that doesn't happen. But if it does, do you want to risk having money in taxable accounts and or tax postponed accounts to worry about that for the future? Listen, the private reserve is really the only way to alleviate all of those unknowns and those potential risks. Hopefully that answers your question. It totally does, man. And I'll tell you what this reminds me of, right? So it was a really interesting time. So I came into the Marine Corps in 2003, right? So 2003, when I came in, like you were a god in my community if you had one combat deployment at that point. Later on, unless you had three, you were basically a new guy, right? But in the very beginning, you had one, Nobody else did. And so what had happened was all the advice, the taxes, the guidance, everything they got passed down to the generation right before me, right? That all came from guys that were there in the 90s. And in the 90s, we didn't really go to war. Like we had a few things, like you'd argue Kosovo, Bosnia. Yeah. But like, did anybody really go in and extended stuff? Was it the same that we're doing in Iraq, Afghanistan? By the way, if you're a Desert Storm veteran listening, that is not to diminish what you did in any way, shape or form. But the levels of combat, 
that we saw from 2001 on, I think we all can agree, dramatically different. So all these tactics, right? Old school things, you'd see like cup and saucer pistol as opposed to two hands, bound elbows coordinating so you can kind of get in there and do whatever you need to. All these old school tactics, right? They theoretically made sense. Where did they break? They broke in combat. And so I had the benefit of guys that had then gone there and went, ah, that didn't work the way that we trained. So we got to adjust it. And the next decade was spent adjusting things because you're putting it under the pressure cooker over and over and over and over again until you find the things that truly, truly work, right? It's kind of like sifting through sand and you got to sift through, you know, 400 pounds of sand back in the day with your old, you know, gold miner kind of pan in there and you're going through it. Eventually you're going to find stuff. But at the end of that, all you have left is a giant pile of gold. And that's how the special operations community got so good in America. That's why the level of skill set is so high now is because it's all been pressure tested over and over. And the point of telling that story to you listening is this. A lot of people talk about a lot of different things out there. Very, very few actually take the time to plug it in to a scenario that will take into account taxes, take into account inflation, take into account all the things that you do have available to you, right? If you believe social security will be there, but let's say that it will be, and you can calculate all that, your current accounts and go, how does this stack up in my retirement? And I'll tell you, Jim, I, I was kind of scared for years to do this. I heard people talk about this and I was like, I don't know. What if it doesn't? Well, I'll tell you, mine didn't. And I adjusted my strategies and weirdly, I didn't end up putting away that much more. And it had dramatically shifted how much I will and my family will have at the end of our lives. And so when you guys are thinking through this stuff, like first thing to do is like, you got to put, you have to talk to somebody that knows how to plug all this in to get the specific answers for you to see how it's going to play out. The next thing that you need to do is go, what are those assumptions based on? It's like, if it's taxes staying the same based on everything we know, do we think that's going to be the case? Let's hope so. David Walker doesn't think so. Probably most of you listening don't think so. Some of you might, and that's okay. Everybody's free to make their own decision. But then you have to look at that and go, what, what, what am I going to do to put myself in the best possible position? That is all of our jobs and our responsibilities for our family. Yep. I have one thing to add there, Will. And uh, I, we get this a lot with uh, people looking for and just really opening up this conversation for what to do with their money, what accounts and where should they save and you know what, what, what can they do, right? For saving for today, for the emergency fund, for the rainy day, for the retirements, you know? And um, I've developed um, through all mentors and of course, none of this is original you know, to me. So I'll give credit where credit's due. But this filter has served me very well and my family and a lot of clients. And uh, this is one of those things where you're watching this show, you're listening to it, you want to write this down or go back and listen to this because knowing what I'm about to tell you right now will definitely have an impact in your life and will save you a tremendous amount of money, stress, sleepless nights, and anxiety. And so here you go. When anybody, and I mean anybody, comes to you, and me included, I do this in my own life as practice, and comes to you and says, hey, I have an investment for you to consider an account for you to consider to put your money into, a deal, an opportunity, whatever it is. They want your money from your pocket to their pocket. Here's four questions that you can ask them that will serve you very well. Number one, how safe is my money? Is there any principal protection on that account? Could I lose my money? I live by this. It's more important to have the return of my money instead of a return on it. 
So if I'm willing to lose my money, I want to know about it going into it. That's number one. Number two is how liquid is it? If I need to get access to that money, is this locked up for 10 years, five years, 20 years? What is that, right? Like liquidity is a big thing. Life happens. Life happens. It's not, that's a certainty. Things will happen in your life. Problems will occur and you will need to step up and be able to address those. And liquidity is a, is a big factor. And the third thing is, what is the rate of return? What is the rate of return? Is it going to keep up with inflation? Is it uh, whatever it is, right? A lot of times, Will, I see people chase return first. So I like to do these in order. Safety, liquidity, rate of return. How safe is it? How liquid is it? What is the return? The fourth question, really, really important. What are the tax implications of this account? So after I'm comfortable with answering the question of how safe, number two, how liquid, what is rate of return? I want to know what the taxes is. Most of the time, I can't avoid taxes, particularly if it's a really good investment. Maybe, maybe not, right? But I'm never going to let taxes stop me from doing a deal, but at least I want to know about it, right? Is it short-term or is it long-term? You know, what are the implications of that? Or is it potentially tax-free? Is it possible for people to grow money that is 100% safe, 90% or greater of liquidity, has a guaranteed rate of return and tax-free? Yes, it is. It's absolutely possible. But now forever, I hope that everyone listening to this, this serves them greatly. You write, know those four questions, commit those to memory and ask everyone right back to them if they want your money, if they can answer those questions so that you can get the answers to those to make a good decision for you and your family. That framework is clutch. So for everybody listening, if you didn't catch all that, make sure you kind of rewind this, listen back to it. Because if you go through that two, three times, that'll serve you the rest of your life. And I'll tell you one, it's an add-on to the rate of return question, right? A lot of times we think about what's the rate of return and mm, it depends on who you're talking to. If they're honest, they're going to tell you it's going to be from here to here, but here's our average. There's one more thing that I look at because some people, not saying this to anybody you guys are talking to, but you don't want to trust people unless you ask this question, right? It's like, cool. What is kind of the max rate that we've seen? What's the average? What's the worst that could happen here? Because I will tell you, Warren Buffett's you know, famous rule, don't lose money. Now, what's the second rule? It's the only two rules in Berkshire Hathaway, by the way. Don't forget the first rule, which is don't lose money. And so you want to think about that stuff when you look at this as well. The richest people in the world, the wealthiest people in the world, they look at not 26x returns. They look at how do I get a decent rate of return, a good return, but make sure that I avoid losses at all costs because they know what it looks like to have to come back from those losses. And Jim, I think this was excellent advice that you gave. Those four steps are fantastic. It's probably a pretty good place to wrap it up today. Yeah, no, it's great. It's been a lot of fun. We could talk on this stuff for hours and hours and hours. So it's uh, every time we get to, an opportunity to come together and, and do this, well, I just love it. So it's great. Well, guys, thank you for listening today. America is the best country in the world. America is stronger with more Americans that have more wealth in it. Thank you for being a part of our movement to educate, entertain, inform, and help more Americans. So we really enjoyed spending this time with you guys. We'll see you guys on the next one. Take care. Thanks. Thanks.